At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. How do you feel about the future? Concern? Optimistic? Dismayed? For me, it seems to change almost every day depending on what we hear or see in the headlines. But perhaps a better question to ask is, what future? By looking at scientific research, market forces and cultural trends, we can actually start to understand what options there are for the future and what we can do to create the one we want for ourselves and the next generations. Today we'll hear from a global expert and thought leader who has done just that who takes the confusion and complexity out of the various scenarios to give us a clear line of sight. And she'll share what we can do as business leaders, both individually and collectively, to build a future in which you, your company, society, and the planet can thrive. So if you want to worry less and better understand how we can create a future to look forward to, listen in now. From We First and Goal 17 Media, welcome to Lead with We, the podcast where top business leaders and founders reveal how they build their companies to be high impact and high growth by putting We First. I'm Simon Mannering, and today I'm speaking with Sally Uren, the CEO of Forum for the Future, which is a highly respected international nonprofit working with business, government, and organizations to create truly meaningful shift towards a sustainable future. Sally, my friend, welcome to Lead With We. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. And, you know, so here you are since, you know, uh, 2013, you've been the CEO of Forum for the Future, which is, you know, a lofty name, but like help us understand what it does, like in a meat and potatoes sense. What does an organization like that do? We really try and sketch out what a positive future that is really allowing people and the planet to thrive. We try and sketch out what that looks like as a way of then really encouraging business, philanthropy, government, civil society, whoever will listen really, to create the future that we want. And on the face of it, a lot of what we do at Forum is pretty impossible. You know, trying to mainstream entire value chain so that commodity X becomes sustainable, trying to persuade really senior decision makers in business in particular that actually the current economic construct is really flawed and trying to persuade brands who are driven by you know, growth metrics, um, you know, the metrics of pure economic growth to really embrace different routes to value creation. It's not easy. It's um, not easy. And... and, and... <laughs> You know, before we dive into those challenges, I want to ask, you know, it's one thing to want to make the world a better place or to help build a sustainable future. And we all want that to some extent because we all want to survive and we all want a future we can be excited about. But to actually to make that commitment and, and build your career around it is a different thing. What was that thing where you said, this is my path, my purpose? 
Uh, it started a long time ago. Um, I am an ecologist by training, and that really cemented in me an understanding that things can regenerate, we can reverse environmental damage. And I decided that the world did not need any more scientific papers written by me in particular, and that I really wanted to use everything I'd learnt through all of my research and apply it. And at that point, this was, you know, several millennia ago, um, my options were quite limited. Um, so I set up the first sustainability consultancy department in the UK, again, several millennia ago. And then realised I was a shocking consultant, absolutely shocking, in that people would say, we need you to do this. And I'd say, well, really? I'm not sure that's going to create the change that we need to see. Um, and then was rescued by Jonathan Porritt uh, to go and work in the worlds of non-profits where you can be a little bit more overt and challenging about what you think. So it's something that has been with me all of my professional career, in other words. And, and, and as you say, that must have been so sort of ahead of its time way back then. You know, it's sort of like thinking, thinking this way and the role of business. How were you received at that time? Did people sort of, you know, pat you on the back and say, isn't it nice that there are people out there that would think this way? Oh, no, that was a good day. And ordinarily, it ranged from being ignored, being patronised. Uh, there was a memorable occasion where I was um, being threatened with prison. Um because wow. a lot of what we do is really bringing brands together, getting them to focus on shared challenges. And um, competition law hasn't really caught up with the need for pre-competitive collaboration. And in this particular project, in a particular instance, the normal, this is rubbish, don't listen, it's really terrible, wasn't working. Um, and so the tactic of, well, this is against EU competition law. Do you know, Sally, you could end up in prison? Um, so that was that was a good day. Um, so yes, um, being ignored and passed on the back is actually it's up there. That that's um, a good day. And actually, I have to say, <laughs> in hindsight, as all of us run the miles, committed to what we you know care about, the more obstruction or the more kind of you know obstacles you get up front, it's actually an indication that you're on the right track. Oh, totally, Simon. Um, I don't know who coined this phrase. I wish it was me, but it really wasn't. But the closer you get to shifting a system, the harder it pushes back at you. And so actually someone yelling at me that they think I should be in prison is like, brilliant. I've got to them. They've really seen that I'm serious. So what everyone should take away already is that if you're not being yelled at or threatened with prison, <laughs> you're not trying hard enough. You know, we can understand that we've got to make things better in the abstract. But why is this so serious now, Sally? Why do we need to show up in a way that we never have before? What, what are we facing that's, that's so serious that it's got to demand our attention? Yeah. Um, so at the moment, if we carry on emitting carbon in the way that we are today, we will see on average a temperature rise at the end of the century of between three and four degrees Celsius. That is catastrophic for the systems that we rely upon. It will mean the melting of the ice caps, the conversion of the Amazon into savannah, the loss of the boreal forest, all of the feedback mechanisms that keep our climate stable will just fall away. And what's really interesting, given the size of the government response to the COVID emergency and the scale of all of these fiscal stimulus packages, we probably have got less than a decade now to really put in place pathways for rapid decarbonisation. So that's 
our very survival. And then layered into that is the fact that as a society, as a global economy, as citizens, we have failed to deal with structural inequalities. And so you've got a really profound environmental challenge and a really profound societal challenge coming to bear at the same time. And this is what our recent report really tries to explore is how do we respond to these big challenges? And there are many in a way that secure a pathway to a sustainable future and don't actually lock us in to a hothouse earth, to an increasingly polarised and unequal earth. This report you mentioned is fascinating. You talk about these different scenarios, these different futures that we can face. And the report, From System Shock to System Change, kind of walks us through what we can do to address that. So just touch on the four different kind of alternative outcomes we have and maybe push in on the one, the one you may hope we might choose. <laughs> yeah, so we, um, in the report, we talk about four different trajectories, which are essentially broad pathways that we see emerging right now, coming out of this intense moment of discontinuity that to many respects we're still living through. Um, one pathway we call unsettled is actually where things do not settle down. And so we just continue to lurch from one crisis to another. Think about what's happened in your wonderful country, um, the unrest in Minneapolis at the heart of the pandemic. So the unsettled trajectory is there is no new normal and we're just right. going to have to continue to adapt to these crises and respond to them. That's probably the darkest of the trajectories because essentially the institutions that we've established to manage through the 21st century, they don't work in that level of discontinuity and uncertainty. There is a light side in, the, in that trajectory. Those organisations, individuals that can be flexible and adaptive and highly creative may well be able to make sense of what's happening around them and, and they might be the businesses and the brands that do well, but that will be the minority. Um, right. This this will be just kind of constant dealing with huge uncertainty. We then have discipline, which is a trajectory where the mindset that predominates is efficiency, is that actually public health outcomes come first. And we're not really worried about privacy, um, individual uh, data rights, this is the world where everywhere we see track and trace for controlling the pandemic. It's a world where we do see a return to the economic model that we knew before COVID, which is an economic model based on some form of globalization, but based on a very economically driven set of success metrics. Um, so in discipline, features of sustainability like the circular economy do really well because that makes sense. The circular economy is super efficient. Um, it's not a very democratic model because in this trajectory, it's big government, big tech. They're making decisions for us. That means that some of the sort of social dimensions are not really part of the mix. Right. So that's a little bit better in some ways, but still at a cost. What, what else? What other choices do we have? Well, then there is the lively trajectory of compete and retreat. And this is a trajectory where we see the continued rise of populist dynamics. So it's every nation state for themselves. This is the US pulling out of the World Health Organization. It is India 
stopping exporting paracetamol to keep the stocks for their own population. And in this trajectory, multilateralism, so international attempts to deal with climate, to deal with really looking out for the poorest of the poor, they just don't work. Right. Give us, a, give us, give us the preferred <laughs> scenario. The trajectory that we need to pay the most attention to is called transform. And this is the trajectory where we really have a mindset that says planetary health equals human health equals economic health. We can't disentangle our own health as humans from our planetary health, from our economic health. And we've seen this in COVID. If we're sick, the economy is sick. If the planet's sick, we can't see a functioning economy. COVID started with illegal deforestation leading to the rise of what's called zoonotic organisms entering into the food chain. What happened in a wet market in Wuhan has crippled the global economy. So Transform recognises the interdependency of all of these systems and says, okay, instead of going back to what we had before, which was where we were really blind to all of these connections, let's use this moment of extreme disruption to reset, to build back better, and to broaden out the goals of the global economy, to include creating environmental value, to include creating societal value. Now, that sounds really pie in the sky on the face of it, but it isn't, Simon. Yeah, no, I was wondering, is it, is it top-down from corporations and government? Is it bottom-up from people? It's all of those things. And we see proof points that this transform trajectory is moving. As we see proof points that the other three are too, and I'll come back to how we navigate through the fact that four are unfolding simultaneously. But the proof, proof points that transform could be real. Look at the scaling of regenerative agriculture practices in the US and other, other um, big economies, understanding that actually, if we're gonna secure equitable access to calories, then an extractive food system isn't gonna work. We've gotta right. really rebuild the value of that food system. We, we can't just keep taking from the environment through agriculture no. and more. We've got to be giving giving back to the soil. No. and right. Absolutely. Um, because if nature was a bank, it would have been bailed out a long time ago. Right. Um, so assets of nature are running really low. Look at what's happening in the investment community. Um, the amount of money flowing into ESG funds, I think it was in June, July and August, in that three-month period was the same as the previous five years. So the investment community is waking up to the value at risk posed by the climate emergency, posed by those brands that aren't looking out for communities. So lots of proof points that Transform could emerge. Now the rub is that, you will know this, in a 24-hour period, you can experience all four trajectories. Right. Um, because all four across the world are playing out. And that's the beauty of future thinking, in that... We future sinking, which is what? To align around a certain future. Yeah. So the more you can take actions consistent with the future that you want, the greater the chance of that version of the future emerging because self-fulfilling and self-defeating prophecies are real. If you believe that something can happen, if you can believe things can be better, then the chances are that they will be. But if you think, oh, it's never going to happen, then you will not be creating the future that you want. So what does this mean for me tangibly listening? If I'm a, if I'm a, put my consumer hat on for a second where I'm buying stuff I need, or I'm an employee working inside a company, or I'm a, the, the founder of a, you know, a startup, or I'm the CEO of a large corporation, like 
with this sort of big picture thinking in place, because clearly we want the best future for all of us because, you know, that's in our own interest in a sense. Where do you start? What actions do you take? Well, let's take those in turn. So as an employee of an organisation, big or small, have you asked what is the purpose of the brand, the business? It isn't just about turning over a dollar. It's not about market share. It's actually what is the contribution of the business or the brand to create that sustainable future? And there's a generation coming through for whom that question is absolutely first and second nature. So ask, you know, what is your organization doing about both its direct environmental and social impacts, but its indirect social and environmental impacts? Right. Does it have science-based targets? Is it looking after its scope three carbon emissions? What's it doing in terms of where it's sourcing? There are questions you can ask that will allow you to understand where your organization stands on this agenda. So find out, ask. Similarly, if you're buying a product, just take the time to understand where and how is this product being made? If I'm buying apparel, how do I know that the t-shirt I'm buying hasn't been manufactured in a sweatshop in Bangladesh where people are not even on a living wage, they're not on any wage, they're in bonded labor. So find out where and how your product has been made. Then if you are in work and you're earning a salary, where's your pension going? So that contribution you make to your pension, what are your pension fund managers investing in? Are they investing in fossil fuel industries or have they seen the light and are investing in the interests of the future? So that bit of your pension and any other savings you have, where are your savings going? Find out. Over the next decade, the pathways to value creation, financial value creation, are going to broaden. It won't just be short-term profit maximization because of the simple reality to create a successful business or a successful brand, you need a successful ecosystem. You need prosperous people. You need engaged employees. You need people that want to buy your product. And we don't live in a vacuum. And COVID has really shone a light on that. It has. I mean, you know, business brands can't survive in societies that fail. You know, you've got to protect the whole system on which your yeah. very business depends. That said, again, one of the obstacles in people's minds is, listen, I, I know how important that is. I want to do the work, but I'm really busy and I've got to homeschool my kids and I'm just trying to pay the bills. I'm trying to keep the doors open on my business. Are there tools emerging that kind of make this transparency or that knowledge easier to find? There are lots of tools. Um, you know, as a consumer, you can just look at whether or not a product, be it a food product or a piece of clothing, you know, has it got any kind of certification scheme attached to it? Um, you know, if it's food, is it fair trade, organic? Um, what are the labels there? I mean, certification has got its limits, but there's a quick and easy way of understanding how to compare banana A with banana B, then banana A that's been fairly traded is going to be better for the smallholder. So look Just for those certifications. Look for the certifications right. in the first instance. Um, and I really... I feel this tension at the moment between surviving and thriving. And I guess what I'm trying to do through my work and the work of Forum more broadly is to try and help us all understand that these are false dichotomies. We need to understand that it isn't either or, it's and. Yeah, that this, this false separation, as you say, between making money and doing good 
um, buying what you want and protecting the environment, they all go hand in hand now because we're at that point where the systems are breaking down. So if you were an entrepreneur out there and you're in your first year or two, or you're just thinking about having an idea to start a company, give us one or two, maybe three things that that entrepreneur can do to start building the company the right way. So whatever business you're in, have a vision about what success looks like. How are you going to create money and also do good at the same time? And that has never, ever been easier because we know that protecting the environment, it saves us money. We know that, you know, using renewable energy in many parts of the world now is actually cheaper. Um, We also know that if as a brand, we do the right thing by our employees, we do the right thing by the communities that we interact with, if we delight our customers with making them feel really brilliant about their purchase, we will do well. And so really think about what is your contribution to these big challenges in a way that will underpin your future success. And I guess probably the first thing I should have said, though, is understand what the future holds. And the future holds huge uncertainty, huge disruption, huge turbulence, but actually having a really, really super clear and crisp purpose will allow you to navigate that turbulence if that purpose is grounded in the good you want to deliver. Absolutely. I mean, everyone, whether you're an employee, an investor, or a customer out there, you're always looking at brands now saying, are you part of the problem or are you part of the solution? Yeah. You've got to be on the right side of history in that sense. And if you go to the other end of the spectrum, these established or larger companies, you know, they might say their excuse might be, you know, we're just trying to survive during COVID. And so we don't really have the bandwidth, the resources, or the time to prioritize these issues. Or you mentioned something called pre-competitive collaboration. You know, how and why should companies that are larger care about these things and what can they do, do about it? So many reasons. One of them is that large companies are dependent usually on global supply chains that they do not have full control over. And in order to really ensure resilience and access to supply in those supply chains, you need to collaborate. You're not going to be able to do it on your own. Um, many, many brands across all sectors, you know, they share these supply chains and they're all at risk at the moment. They're very, very brittle supply chains. So if you want to ensure continued access of security of supply, you're going to have to work often with your competitors, particularly in feels like apparel where you're sharing the manufacturing base. So to think you're going to influence that on your own, I think you're kind of kidding yourself in a way. Is there an example that, you know, jumps out at you? Like what's an example where you go, wow, this is really showing the way forward in terms of how companies of all sizes can work together? Yeah, um, I love what organizations like Interface are doing. So they've launched a carbon positive carpet So they've got a carpet now that actually will absorb and sequester carbon. And so we'll be playing a contribution to really reducing carbon in our atmosphere. So I I, I think that's that's wonderful. And then equally, I love what Patagonia is doing in terms of its partnerships with smallholder cotton farmers, really enabling them to convert from conventional to organic cotton production in a way that they don't lose money. Um, There are so many examples of brands and businesses now putting more back than they take out and really thinking about 
how do they get their product to market in a way that drives the maximum positive good? And that's where also there are, it's so exciting to see what's happening around this whole nature-based solution space. So um, Unilever have launched a 1 billion um, nature and environment fund just to really understand how can it work with its suppliers to get rapid decarbonization of supply chains. Amazon's got a 2 billion climate pledge. This is all money that's becoming available to both restore ecosystems, but to tackle climate change and to drive livelihood prosperity. And, and obviously that's a huge task and it can be overwhelming, daunting and so on. But if you look at these big platforms out there, how well are they going? For example, the sustainable development goals, which are these, you know, 17 goals that were established in 2015 that set targets for how to address these big issues out there in the world or all these big sort of, you know, multi-stakeholder efforts by Unilever or Marks and Spencer with their plan A because there is no plan B. Like how are these things, are they getting there fast enough? No, nothing is happening fast enough at the moment until we reframe the goals of the systems that we rely on. So go back to food. So people say the food system's broken. It's not broken. It's working really well to the current goals of the system, which is cheap food delivered in large volumes in a way that doesn't really look out for farmer livelihood and doesn't pay any attention to equality issues and doesn't really think about biodiversity, right? So the food system is looking pretty well to the current goals of the system. People then say the economy is broken. The economy isn't broken. It's working really well to the current goals of the economy, which is short-term profit maximization. What we've seen over the last decade and the reason why we haven't made enough progress is that we focused more on incremental change because it's easier. And we have been locking in existing unsustainable practices. So how do you get this, how do you shift consumer thinking and behavior? Because companies have to be rewarded for it and business yeah. needs to work for others on, with other sectors on the strength of those rewards. How do you shift this story about the role of humanity, the role of business? I think that it's, shifting norms and shifting narratives from there's nothing we can do whatever i do won't make a difference i've got no power and everything's already complicated to actually i have extraordinary power have extraordinary agency as an individual every choice i make will contribute to the delivery of something better and i believe in better i believe things can be better and that belief in better, that optimism, that does create change. I've seen it time and time again. You've been leading this effort for a long time based in the UK and working with a lot of very powerful, you know, European and, and global brands. You know, what would you say to young women entrepreneurs or business leaders out there? Because there's such momentum behind women's leadership all around the world right now for, for very good reason. What would you say? First of all, I'd say believe in yourself um, and have a vision of what it is you're trying to do. Don't worry if it doesn't go quite to plan. Um, because I, I think the most important thing I've learned along the way is be kind to yourself. Because if you're not kind to yourself, other people will struggle to be kind to you. Um, and like we said right at the beginning, if in your efforts to change things, people end up shouting at you and you're experiencing all sorts of negative energy, bank it, because it means you're actually close to doing something quite special. Sally, thank you so much for your time today. And 
we look forward to seeing what we can all do together. No, thank you, Simon. And um, I think if I could say one last thing, um, as humans, we want practical insights, right? So we, and we also love certainty. You know, we love knowing what's going to happen next. And we're at a point in history where we don't know what's going to happen next. And it is really uncertain. With that comes the potential to create enormous positive change. So hold that. Hold the potential, not the uncertainty. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Sally. Really appreciate you. No worries. My pleasure. Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of Lead With We, where I spoke with Sally Uren, the CEO of Forum for the Future, who shared with us what that future for business and our lives can actually look like in these very uncertain times, and how entrepreneurs and corporations can work together to rebuild society and the planet, and how each of us can take very simple steps each day that will make a truly meaningful difference to tomorrow. Make sure you subscribe to Lead With We on Apple, Google, or Spotify. And please recommend it to your friends and colleagues so they too can build a purposeful and profitable business. And if you'd like to learn more about how you can build a purposeful brand, check out wefirstbranding.com, where we have lots of free resources and case studies. Thanks for joining us, and let's all lead with we.